Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, we've got John Paul taking the calls at 1850-333-103 and you can text and WhatsApp to 0862-103-103 and Friday morning of a bank holiday weekend and the long range weather forecast, according to all of the papers today, is indicating that we are in for some glorious June and July weather. Bring it on, I hear you cry. The fine weather is set to prove a godsend, particularly for the Irish tourism and hospitality industry because obviously staycations uh, the bookings for them are expected to soar particularly if this upbeat weather forecast is true. Met Aaron indicated while this the June Bank holiday weekend is going to be a mixture of sunshine and showers we're certainly not going to have anything like the weather that we had last weekend. The best of the weather by the way if, you need, if you're planning on doing anything outdoors the best of the weather across the weekend is set to be uh, Sunday but it looks like there's better weather on the horizon. The state forecaster uh, are indicating that the period from the 8th of June through to the 24th of June, during that sort of a two-week period, there is going to be this high-pressure zone settled over northern Europe and Ireland. Because of that, we are likely to enjoy warmer conditions, bright uh, sunshine, and it'll be particularly from late next week. So it'll run from sort of mid to late next week and then right up to about the 24th of June. Now Met Aaron, they're always cautioning about long range uh, weather forecasts and um, because they can prove so uncertain and they're always terrified of putting up warnings like this and then people plan things and then everything goes to pot. They still say if you are planning on doing something that's got to be outdoors and you want a good indication of weather then they say stick to their 10 day prediction period period. The current indications suggest that this high pressure zone, it's coming up from the Azores. It'll remain dominant over northern Europe and particularly from around the 11th of June and because of that it's going to keep conditions largely settled warm and even they say it could get very warm over Ireland. Now Carlo Weather and Alan O'Reilly who we often speak with on this programme he agreed that we could start to see uh, good conditions. He's pushing it out though a little bit further ahead. He's going he's saying from June 12th or June 13th so that'd be what's that Monday week he's saying things could get better. He said the two main weather 
Tinder models are both showing this Azores high pushing up but it's going to be about 10 days before it uh, arrives and then long range weather forecaster AccuWeather they're much more bullish about the conditions over Ireland for June and July they're predicting temperatures 21 to 22 degrees and they're saying there could be really good sunshine and they're predicting that for at least 15 out of the 31 days of July so they're giving us nice weather not just for June but they're also giving it for July but as I say for this weekend and uh, it certainly is going to be mixed but there will be will be nice bright sunny spells as well so hopefully we'll be able to get out and about when the sun does decide to shine but as I say nothing like the weather was going to be last weekend and sure didn't Leo Varadkar at Thornishta even reference that the weather wasn't going to be as good for the bank holiday weekend as it was last weekend and by saying that he said he hoped with the weather not being as favourable that it might keep people from gathering when he was talking early in the week about what had happened on the streets of our cities with large crowds gathered and Tony Houlihan so worried and upset about the spread of COVID-19. But the other one thing that really came out about the large crowds that gathered last weekend was the fact of lack of facilities either in our cities but also by the coast. So it's good to hear that Dublin has taken delivery of 150 new port and dozens are going to be installed on beaches here in Cork in advance of the bank holiday weekend. In Cork City, new supervised public toilets will open on North Main Street in the shopping centre. Now that's from tomorrow, Saturday. There'll be all day security. There'll be cleaning services in place as well. And also the toilets in City Hall's civic offices, that's on Anglesey Street, they will be open to the public and I'm assuming that's from tomorrow as well. In Cork City, street cleaning crews will be on duty from 7am in the morning through to 10pm at night. That's right across the bank holiday uh, weekend. So a lot of the council workers will be working uh, this weekend. But because of that, because they have street cleaning crews out for all of those hours, it will increase. They will also increase the frequency of bin cleaning and collection. And I know when even last week when we were talking about it, people were saying, look, people tried to make an effort that when they got to a bin that was full, they left whatever items they wanted to put into the bin, they they left it beside the bin. So there was kind of the feeling that they were trying to do their best, trying not to just have the rubbish, trying not just to drop the rubbish wherever they were. They were making attempts to get it into bins. So if we get the bins emptied more, then that certainly should hopefully stop a lot of the littering. The Cork City Council Director of Operations, David Joyce, speaking in the Examiner today, said the city has no plans to fence off or, or restrict access to any area of public open space. And they're actually encouraging people to enjoy the spaces, but saying to people, look, enjoy the spaces, but enjoy them responsibly. However, we do know, and we did speak about this earlier in the week, that the Port of Cork, they fenced off part of the city centre keys and that was because of the amount of people that gathered there last weekend but they also are advising people please don't congregate on the keys and they've made the point that at the Port of Cork that's a 24-7 working port area so they're asking people not to congregate there and because of that they fenced it off. They also say motorists who park illegally on the port's keys you could have your vehicle clamped and then you could face a €120 release fee. Well that's the City Council, Cork County Council then. They're installed 16 portaloos. Now, the examiner have have mentioned some of the places where these portaloos are going to go um, 
starting this, this weekend and they'll run throughout the summer. They're going to be installed at Crosshaven, Myrtleville, Church Bay, Fountainstown, Roberts Cove, at Kilnagliri, I don't know where that is, and at Roberts Bridge Car Parks. And they're also going to be at the People's Park in Carrigaline. So they're installing these 16 portillos. They're going to leave them there for the next 13 weeks. So they'll be there right up to and including August. So that will come as a relief to people, relief, pardon the pun, to people who want to uh, spend a penny. And of course, as everything starts to move outdoors, and we will be talking about that later on on the programme, the reopening of dining and the reopening of pubs outdoors from next Monday. Uh, It's just fantastic to see what Princess Street in the city have done. Now, I've only seen it in photographs, but it looks absolutely gorgeous. They have decked out the streets in these beautifully assorted assortment of beautifully colourful assortment of parasols. And obviously they're designed to keep diners dry when the outdoor hospitality returns next week. The immensely popular Eat on the Street initiative, remember that was piloted last year with businesses on the street. Well, that's returning from Monday in line, obviously, with all of the government uh, guidelines. So these poles have been installed to support these large colourful, they're big umbrellas, big parasols and it will shield diners from the rain or also shield them if it's a very sunny day as well and people don't want to be sitting out in the the blazing sunshine. They really are gorgeous so I wish everybody on Princess Street the best of luck with it and I think a a lot of customers will be really pleased uh, to see that. 1850 Can I stay on toilets for a moment because yesterday we had some calls in about well, about lack of toilets, but in particular about public uh, toilets. And remember our listener who joined us talking about her granddaughter. They went to Kinsale. They were going to pick her up from school, took her off to Kinsale and they were going to get a takeaway and just, you know, enjoy. It was one of the nice, fine, sunny days last week. And when they got there, little six-year-old, as a little six-year-old needs to do, need to go to the toilet, Nana. So they went into the public toilets and they were described as being in a dreadful condition. They were so bad they couldn't use the public toilets and the little one then ended up wetting herself and they had to go home and they couldn't get their takeaway and it was just a miserable day out uh, for them all. So we said we, and then that then led to other calls about the public toilets in Kinsale. So we got on to Cork County Council and they've come back to us with a very short reply saying even though the toilets are maintained daily, they're vandalised on a regular basis. If any issues arise they report to Cork County Council's engineering staff for actioning. So I suppose what the councillor are trying to say is we do our best, even though what was described yesterday by Margaret was water flowing out the door as soon as they entered the toilets. One of the toilets was completely blocked and she said there was even water coming down the walls and others were saying that they they had also seen the toilets on different days in the same condition. Well, they're saying that there's somebody in there every day doing their best to maintain them but I suppose if they're vandalised and there's a major problem with it all the cleaning in the world isn't going to sort out water flowing down the walls or coming out the front door of the toilets and the toilets getting so badly blocked I'm assuming with toilet paper or people disposing of other products down the toilet anyway so that's what they say they're trying the best that they can but uh, if you come across the toilets in Kinsale and they're in a bad condition I suppose the message from Cork County Council is to please report it to 
to them so that they can do something about trying to sort it out. 1850-333-103. Mary says, Patricia, with regard to the piece that you mentioned on good weather, we usually get very hot weather during the leaving search. We do, don't we? We always talk about that in June. We talk about the leaving search weather. And I'm assuming the leaving search always starts on the Wednesday after the bank holiday Monday. So I'm assuming the leaving search is starting, isn't it, uh, next Wednesday. And that would tie in exactly with what the weather forecast is because it's the back end of next week that the weather is set to, go, is to get good. So well done, Mary, for, for spotting that. There's always good weather for the leaving search. 1850 And then George was on to us from West Cork. And I'm wondering, how, is this happening and causing problems for other people? George says he was on his way home last night and he got stuck behind one of those high powered tractors involved in silage. He said it was like driving behind one huge Christmas tree. In fact the only part of it that wasn't lit was the ones that should have been lit. He said the dangerous thing was he was about three or there was about three or four huge lights attached to the back of the cab of this big, large tractor. And he said it was shining right into the face of the drivers following behind. And it was in a rural part of West Cork. He said even if you had an opportunity to pass him out, George felt it would have been too dangerous as you would have been totally blinded by the glare of these lights. Now, I'm assuming for safety reasons, these tractors have to be well lit. But are is there too much lighting on them or is it that the lighting is too powerful? You can have something well lit, but do the lights have to be that powerful? Uh, so George contact us today to see. Are others noticing that when you're driving at night? It's OK during the day, but of course a lot of these tractors, because they're trying to get the silage, the silage sorted, particularly while the weather is good. I mean, making hay when the sun shines. So they'll work late into the evening. So they will have occasion to be out on the roads when it is pitch dark, when you do have to light up. But is it causing problems for others? Have you, like George, been caught behind one of these big high parched tractors and have you noticed or was George just unlucky with the tractor that he found himself behind yesterday that the lights were too bright shining right into his face and the face of other drivers behind. Joe and Amanway agreeing with George about the tractors and the amount of lights on some of these big tractors during the silage season. Uh, his description is spot on. They are like moving uh, Christmas trees. Somebody else says all tractors and uh, cars have to be lit up. You don't have any choice when you're out at night. While Marion says if there was no lights on that tractor George would be on to you this morning roaring about it. If there were small, small lights he'd be giving out as well. That is why they have to be well lit because they are large tractors. People need to accept certain things in life. It's like the vaccination centre so many people have you had calling the programme about having to travel outside of their area to go to a vaccination centre. Why are all Irish people always giving out? There's a saying, says Marion, idle minds gives idle words. Whoa. That was Marion to 1850 A lot of focus and attention on COVID going on the Limerick area and I know we have a lot of listeners uh, listening to us in the Limerick uh, area who must be feeling very, very nervous about the spike in cases in the region. Uh, so much so now 
that we're hearing on the news that the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly and the Chief Medical Officer Tony Houlihan are all meeting with Limerick TDs to discuss the rising number of cases in uh, the county. Tony Houlihan has raised concerns about the spread of the virus in uh, Limerick and he said yesterday they reported a significant increase in cases. There has now been more than 800 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the Limerick area alone and that's just over the past 14 days. He said the majority of them occurred as a result of indoor gatherings. So the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly it'll be obviously a virtual meeting will take place today with all of the Limerick, Limerick elected representatives this afternoon and it's to try to discuss how they can address what they now see as an escalating problem. He's going to urge the TDs to push home the public health messaging around indoor gatherings and around socialising. Now there are currently walk-in COVID test centres in operation in Limerick and they're obviously going to be encouraging people to come forward for testing over the next few days. And government sources say a local lockdown was not currently on the table and it was hoped it won't be necessary if public health regulations are adhered to. But it's not on the table for now. But I think if those cases continue to increase in the Limerick area, I don't think they're going to have much choice but to put down a local lockdown for Limerick, which will be absolutely devastating for all of the business community and the hospitality sector who are just starting to open up in the Limerick area. But talking of walk-in test centres, the HSE have been on to us this morning to say that there is an additional pop-up COVID-19 testing is going to be available in Charleville today. The pop-up test site will offer testing without appointment from 11 o'clock this morning until 7 o'clock this evening and it's at the Primary Care Centre at Rathgoggin South just as you head into uh, Charleville from the Mallow side. The testing is available to those living in the area who are aged 16 and over for those people who do not have COVID-19 symptoms and also you must not have tested positive for COVID-19 in the past six months. If you are going to go along uh, for testing, they say, please bring photo ID with you and please provide a mobile phone number. And of course, you need to have a mobile phone number so that they can get the results back to you. And the HSE say it is all part of the planned rollout walk-in testing centres. They've been uh, popping up in various parts. Uh, we've had them in different parts of Cork. Dunmanway, for example, certainly had one for a long period. But if you're in the Charleville area today and you don't have COVID-19 uh, symptoms, but you would like to get tested just to be sure, to be sure, then you can walk in. No appointment needed. Be please bring your photo ID and a mobile phone number with you and that's from 11am today until 7pm at the Primary Care Centre in Charleville. 1850 uh, John Paul taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Just let me go to the phone lines and this is to do with lights on uh, tractors. Pat in Mallow is a tractor driver so you might be able to throw some light on this. Pardon the pun. Good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, Patricia. Now, George was talking about driving last night, got stuck behind what he called a high-powered tractor, and he said it was like driving behind a huge Christmas tree. The lights were actually dazzling and blinding to him. Do you have an understanding of that? Those lights are illegal to have on the road, Patricia. Ah. They're, they're work lights, and for nothing else, only work in the field. They're, those lights are illegal to have on the road. There's, there's, there's headlights and sidelights and taillights on the tractor for the road. 
and anything else is for the, the field. Is it possible that the guy driving, the, or it could have been a girl, but we'll assume a guy, that the man driving the tractor had been working in the field, so he needed the lights on. Could it be possible he didn't realise he left them on when he went out onto the road? Quite possible, but there are plenty of indicators in the cabs of tractors these days to tell you what is working, what is not working. So there's no excuse for it. There's, there's, not, there's, there's a certain amount of... Uh, lads out there driving tractors that just drive them for the sake of being seen and that's those lights I, I drive tractors I'm driving tractors with 50 years those lights are absolutely illegal on the road and, and if, they, you, if you need them for for work purposes the inside in a very dark field are they very bright? oh very bright like there is a uh, Twelve. There's twelve lights on the tractor I'm driving at the moment on the cab. That's excluding the two headlights on the front of the tractor. So, like, they are very bright. So George is right. He, like, he was afraid to overtake oh, because he said oh, he, he was right, getting yeah. da- you know the dazzling from them was actually blinding him almost. Oh yes, he, he's dead right. He's, he's dead right. Yeah, it's it's a total mistake to have doors on and doors. I. I've driven behind tractors with a man, and they are absolutely a danger to everyone. So if you were driving behind, if you started flashing your own headlights, you might draw attention and the, dr- well, the driver might realise what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, all right. And it's a busy time of the year and people are working on later in the evening time, aren't they, Pat, to try oh, and get work yeah, done? They are, like, yeah, uh, yeah. They are. They have to get work done. Tractors have to be on road, but there is a place for those, those lights. lights. Okay, listen, well said. Thank you for that, Pat. Stay no, safe. Right, Thanks for joining us, Mary. Said Patricia, just checked online and the RSA say it is illegal to drive. They're called ploughing lights, according to Mary. Illegal to drive on the public road. And another, Mary says, uh, those tractors, they will dazzle the drivers behind them. I was told by a person in the know that those lights should only be used when the contractor is ploughing or working in the field. Exactly what Pat has said, so they should be switched off while driving. So if you do get, like George, caught behind somebody, start flashing your own lights to indicate to the person driving that they need to switch off those ploughing lights. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Father Tim Hazelwood, who is a spokesman for the Association of Catholic Priests, has spoken out about the marriage of Britain's Prime Minister Boris Johnson at a Catholic ceremony last weekend. Father Tim Hazelwood uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Father morning, Tim. Patricia. Good now, I, I think a lot of Catholics raised eyebrows over this when it was announced as it was Boris's third marriage. Mm. I suppose, can you firstly explain how it was allowed to happen? Okay. And I suppose the first thing to say is that Boris did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. Okay. He, 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 he was born a Catholic. His, his new wife, she's Catholic. And if you're a Catholic, you're entitled to be married in the Catholic Church because for the Church, that's the proper form of marriage for you. And that's what he did. Now, the fact that he was married a few times before, but the form of marriage that's recognised by the church, it wasn't what he, what he was involved in. So the church does not recognise when a Catholic gets married in 
this, a civil marriage to another person, you know, who's in a civil marriage. And that's where I think the confusion, people think that because he was Prime Minister, he got special favour. He didn't. I've done weddings of, I had one two years ago, where uh, the man involved had got married in England in a registry office. He was a Catholic. Church doesn't recognise that form. He married a girl here uh, who was Catholic, but he had to produce a copy of his marriage certificate and his divorce certificate. So that's... uh, The the church has laws and rules and regulations, very strict. And I think one of the good things about the Catholic Church's view of marriage is that it takes it very seriously and you have to do preparation. And Boris did the preparation. He was prepared for six months. I I don't know how he enjoyed it, but... um, So there's instruction, and that's why we have pre-marriage courses, and the church insists that you give a few months' notice that it's not... Um, and there's a whole questioning beforehand that you understand what the church's understanding of marriage is. And one of those things is that it's for life. It's a full commitment. Whereas with a civil marriage, it's a contract. You know, the same as when you buy a car, it's a contract. And so there's a big difference. But where I would have the difficulty is that for a Catholic, in good faith, did the right thing all their lives, got married... Um, when they were young, we'll take, for instance, and it didn't work out for some reason. Maybe one left, and they tried to get an annulment, and it didn't work out. They can never marry in a church again. They can never get a blessing, even. And, and trying heaven forbid, to... Heaven forbid if you're gay, there's no hope at all. So that's where we would have difficulty, that it's very legalistic yeah. and narrow. It has it, like, There's a wonderful theology of marriage, a richness, but... It's, what I, the word I use is archaic, which mightn't be the best word, but I think a new kind of understanding of marriage and relationship needs to be looked at. You, you mentioned annulments, and uh, it, it's very difficult, isn't it, in this country? And I'm assuming it's probably in all mm. uh, Catholic countries. It's probably not just this country. It's very difficult to get an annulment, isn't it? It's, well, for, for, anecdotally, from what I hear people, I've heard that in recent times, uh, it, it ha- the process has become easier. If one person says, I'm not getting involved in the process, well, then it's very difficult to prove something. Mm-hmm. And I know a case that I was involved with lately where they had been married and they separated and the man was, want- was in another relationship, wanted to get married again. And his previous wife said, so I'm supposed to say our marriage was null and void, even though we had three, two or three children. So it's a difficult process, mm. very difficult and very painful. And, and like, I think what, what hit me with this thing with Boris is the amount of people who've tried and, in good faith and are good Catholics, you know, good Christians, and they can't. And Boris, whose policies wouldn't be the most Christian, I would say, you know, his, his attitude to migrants, the Conservative government's attitude to aid, they've cut aid, you know, to the poorer countries, the whole idea of the vaccines is we look after ourselves. Off with you, you're fine. You know, so to me, it, there wasn't much of a Christian attitude. We, well, hopefully, you know, the, they say that after his experience with COVID, that he's changed. And, and hopefully this new relationship will be good for him, you know. Mm. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Do, would you like the church to relook at the way they do marriages? Well, I, I suppose 
I think we would. I think that the whole theology of our own sexuality, like it's, it's, it's based on the teaching. It's just that strict one man, man and woman in a monogamous marriage, and that's it. Whereas modern science and our understanding of the way people are, you know, that's, say for, I'm talking there specifically now about for people who are born who are gay, that, that means they're excluded completely. Surely our understanding can, can develop some bit. And also maybe we'd be a little more tolerant. Like I think people who, have, who had tried their best and got married and didn't work deserve a blessing, I think, in a church. Yeah, I, because even within that monogamous relationship, mm-hmm. people go into it believing, you know, this is the man, the woman I love, and they hope everything's going to work out. But, mm-hmm. you know, life can get involved. And, you know, for whatever reason, marriages break down and they break down for a whole variety of reasons, yeah. including abuse. And people have to get out of a relationship yeah. to save themselves and at times uh, even their children. And if they, and OK, so they can't remarry within the eyes of the Catholic Church. No. Can you even give them a blessing? No. Wow. That's terrible. Like, and that's, no, many priests do. I think that's where the humanity uh, comes in, you know. I think that, like, in good faith, that there are good people who, are, who try their best. And, like, God blesses us, I think, in, in, when it's a loving and, 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 and honest and open, you know, all the, when the heart is in the right place. And still because of this kind of strict uh, view of marriage. And I'm not criticizing it completely because I think there's a huge richness in it. But it's the perfection. And some people are very lucky that they get, have that. But others don't. Not of their own fault very often. I mean, if somebody comes to you and they're in, say, a, a very abusive mm. relationship. I mean, a, as a priest, mm. does the Catholic Church... Is your, are you meant to say to that person, well, you know, you've almost, you made your bed, you've got to lie in it. Are you meant to say when you took a vow, regardless of what's happening behind your front door, you, you took a vow, you have to stick with it? Well, I, I, like the theology is of, is, it looks at what is the perfection, what's the right thing. The humanity is that people need to protect themselves and their children and do what's best for them as well. And I think any priest who uh, in their humanity will seek help for that person and help them, you know, to be safe, number one. You know, um, I I don't think life is meant to be a misery for people. um, Yeah. And even I, when I was watching, I don't know if you watched the Gay Burn programme, the Dear Gay show where they were going through the letters yeah. and uh, it just, you know, struck me, people writing about, you know, the loveless marriages. I mean, it, a relationship doesn't have to be abusive for it to be miserable. There are yeah. people in, you know, literally loveless marriages. I often talk about, and this is nearly 30 years ago now, mm. getting, a, when I first started this programme, getting a letter in from a woman as she described herself in the wilds of West Cork and herself and her husband her husband hadn't spoken to her yeah. at that stage in 30 years. Like, she, she literally had not heard his voice. He used to leave notes for her. Mm. He used to speak through the children when the children were there and then when the children were gone, they were now at the stage. And I just, and she described this miserable yeah. life. But what else, where else was she to go and That's what else was problem. she to do? Yeah. And like, the reality is you get one opportunity in life and to have to live uh, in that. And that's why, like, I think the church tries like, to be very easy just to knock now because of the, um, the rules. But we insist on a pre-marriage course where you talk about relationships, about how to deal with conflict 
And a lot of couples don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. The most important thing you do in your life, and people don't want to do any preparation for it. You know, and I think that's where the state has a duty as well of care to prepare people. But when you're getting married and in the throes of love, all you see, you don't see all that. Yeah, yeah. Cathy in North Cork says, what annoys me about marriage within the Catholic Church are people who never go to Mass. Yes, when it's time to get married, there they are, first ones up the aisle and they want to use uh, the church. That annoys me. What's Father Tim's view on that? I tell you, I'll never forget the late Jerry Ryan. And he said on his programme one day, again, this was the topic about marriage. And he said, the thing about the church is that we have the best venues. Yeah. You know, everybody loves in the country churchyard and, you know, going up the aisle and the, the music and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, like, it's, isn't this a lovely thing as well? But the thing, there's another side to it as well, the serious side to it, and that is that, and part of the preparation for marriage when the couple come to the priest is that we talk about that this the Catholic understanding of marriage is this. And we go through the various parts of it and they have to say, do you accept that or, you know. Um, but like, I, I can see it. I, 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 I understand what your um, listener is saying there. It but is. They're, they're doing it because they want to use your venue. Well, sometimes that's the case. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes to please their mother and father. That's a good point. That yeah. is a very good very point. Very often it's to please the parents. And, but the, the, the good thing about now is that people have a choice. You know, that they can, and people are choosing to have it in hotels, you know, to have the whole thing together. And, and that's where I think uh, there's an opportunity for us to show what the, the richness of what Catholic or Christian understanding of marriage is as well. You know, people choose it nowadays more, I think, because they want it. Because the, some of the venues for uh, weddings now are fabulous, you know, and some of the hotels and packages, you don't have to tr- travel anywhere and... Can all be done under one roof, yeah. And now what's happening is that people are going to venues like that and they're coming to us looking for a blessing. And do you do that? Well, what I'd say is that, look, you have a choice. Do you want a, a Catholic wedding or don't you? And you're making a choice. Or do you want a civil one or a humanist? Yeah, is, yeah they're, is they're, they're yeah. choosing... Yeah. I, a humanist I actually, has, become, has become extremely popular. I, uh, I, I need, one very funny one, can I tell on? you? And that is that you're their friends, people I know, and I hope they're not listening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, was, uh, the wedding was on a Sunday, and I said, but you can't have a wedding on a Sunday because the, the civil register won't work on a Sunday. But it was a humanist wedding, and they wanted me to go up and give a blessing then. <laughs> so a humanist believed there's no God. And then you go up and ask the priest to make, do a blessing. Well, that, yeah, that's, you know? yeah, yeah, it's a bit stupid. Yeah, it's it a is a bit stupid, stupid yeah. yeah. Um, Dennis said, 24 years ago, my marriage sadly broke down. I went to confession and the priest told me, go home and sort out your marriage. He wouldn't listen to my co- my confession and he refused to give me absolution. That's terrible. Dreadful. Yeah. Dreadful. And I'm glad to hear that's 24 years ago and I hope I, that that wouldn't well, happen today. Well, I, I wish it was so <laughs> nowadays. Anyway, I, like, I think if, if you can't come and like if a priest can't listen, and be some way understanding. That's terrible. And then uh, Anita was on. She was furious. And I don't think she was the only one. It was complete. God, it was outrageous is the word she used that Boris Johnson was allowed to marry in, in a Catholic church, even though you've explained why he didn't mm. break any rules. But there was a lot of Catholics very, very uh, annoyed about it. She says on annulments, she's heard of people trying to get annulments. What She'd love to know what are the grounds for an annulment. There's a whole list of, of grounds. Um, 
if I had, I have, don't have the list in front of me now. But one of the things is that if a person wasn't in a fit condition to make the commitment, if you could prove in some way, one of the grounds is, and I know it has happened, if, say, the couple agreed, one of the conditions of marriage in a Catholic church is that you're open to have children. If one of them decides afterwards, I'm not having children. That's grounds for an annulment. Is it? Oh, it is, yeah. Well, yeah. But you say it's easier now than what it was. It, it, it's a lot more uh, accessible now. It is, is it? Is it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. It All right. You're, you're back up and, and running and the churches are open again. What's, what's it feeling like and how's it going for the gym? We have a fierce problem. Go on. <laughs> Swallows. We have to have the doors open. I said mass this morning to a chorus of five swallows. <laughs> now, you see, that in itself is lovely, but then I'm assuming they're doing their business all over they the They are tr- everywhere. Oh, no. <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's nice to be open and people are glad to be back and it's, it's, going, it's going. And we're our christenings. We're having christenings as well. And which is nice, I'm catching up, you know. The, the babies are walking up to us now at this <laughs> stage. <laughs> it's interesting as well, you know. Usually we're baptising small, you know, very young babies. And now they're left a bit older, a year. And I've got more dirty looks you know, from babies. You know, they're, they're kind of aware that something is happening and they don't trust, you know. Yeah, what are you pouring over me head there? That water's cold. <laughs> yeah, one of them one of will speak you now one of these days. First Holy Communion and Confirmation, any go on that? Yes. We got news uh, yesterday that after the 5th of July, but I think during the summer with staycations, it won't be for a lot of parishes. Now, I'm talking about what's happening in the parish here. We're looking at the end of August for confirmation and very early in the new term for First Holy Communions. And it looks like at that stage, up to 100 people will be able to come to the church. So I think it's looking positive. It's so Granny might be able to go. Yes. And <laughs> so that caused huge problems last year when Granny wasn't allowed that, to go. I can tell you that. Then. All right. Listen, it's a pleasure as always, right. uh, Father Tim. Stay Good safe and uh, we'll talk again. Right. Take Thank care. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's uh, Father Tim Hazelwood of Killa uh, Parish. But of course, he uh, joins us as a spokesperson for the Association of Catholic uh, Priests. Michael says, Hi, Boris Johnson. Was never my cup of tea and he never will be. But yes, he was entitled to marry in the Catholic Church because he never had been married there before. He could have married a dozen times and divorced 20 times outside of the Catholic Church but he's still entitled to marry within the Catholic Church. He was born and baptised a Catholic and remains a Catholic regardless of where he strays strays to. Likewise, those people who were separated are still husband and wife until they are divorced. And the sting is, the tale is, they may remain husband and wife until either one of the other marries. When you sign that register, it is mighty hard to undo and it's not as simple as people think. Marriage is a very tricky situation like cohabiting. And that's from Michael. WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Some of your comments in on marriage within the Catholic Church. Somebody says, what the hell do priests know about marriage anyway? Eamon in Cove says, nobody appointed the Catholic clergy to pontificate on when and if people can get married. Uh, They are conservative to the end. What about Princess Caroline of Monaco, who was married for 
a year, got an annulment without a problem. This church is deeply fl- flawed. Pay them no heed. That's from Eamon in Cove. Someone else says, I'm a Catholic and it annoys, it annoys me. Priests can come across as dictators. It will never change. What a pity. Somebody else says, well done to Father Tim. Certainly he outlined and explained in a very hu- hu- human way what is wrong with the uh, Catholic uh, Church. And there was one other one in Patricia. It's because it was Boris Johnson, a special treatment for a fella on his third marriage. He could pass as her father. Gay and lesbians are not allowed to marry within our Catholic Church, but a fella on his third marriage can marry in the cathedral. Where is the teaching that we're all God's children? Rubbish, we're not. There is still a boycott, particularly against gay and lesbian people. But as Father Tim, he, Boris was entitled because he never married within the Catholic He can't now get another marriage with the Catholic Church. Oh, of course he could. If you got an annulment. 1850 I need to take another break. We have news at 11 on the way. In the next hour, we'll be hearing a call as to why restrictions of maternity hospitals uh, should be lifted and also a countdown to outdoor dining and drinking, which is happening from Monday. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork TD Sinn Féin's Donica O'Leary has urged the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly to intervene and to put an end to maternity hospital restrictions and he's shared his own family's personal experience. Donica O'Leary joins me. Good morning to you Donica. Uh, and you're well. I'm, I'm well, thank you. Now, this happened uh, to you, jo- well, to you, you and your partner just before Christmas. Emer ended up needing an emergency appointment. Can you talk us through what happened? Yeah, um, I suppose. Look, we uh, it was Emer was about seven weeks pregnant, and um, she started bleeding, and we were worried. Um, we had uh, we had lost the baby in circumstances like that before. So we contacted, um, we were referred for an appointment, uh, an emergency appointment uh, at the early pregnancy unit in the CUMH. So uh, we drove up to the hospital um, that morning and um, I packed the car and I walked in to the door and I I left her there, I suppose. I, I couldn't go any further, so I waited outside and I walked around and I figured out where the windows of the early pregnancy unit was um, and I had to wave to her and text her and we were in contact like that and to provide her with the, whatever support I could, you know, I'd get as close as I could to her uh, in circumstances and look, thankfully everything worked out okay. Um, we're due in seven weeks now. And, Bless. Um, but just they, that, that scene that you paint, Donica, of outside the building trying to work out where the early pregnancy unit is and then trying to find, trying to, just so that you could wave at each other through a, a window. It's, it's just, I mean, such a heartbreaking scene to even imagine. And, and I can't even begin to think what was going through your mind outside, let alone what was going through Emer's mind inside in this unit? Yeah, well, look, I mean, I suppose there's no doubt about it. We were very, very worried. Uh, we were scared. Um, and, you know, I got emotional speaking um, on on Wednesday and it wasn't necessarily just thinking of what had happened, but it was thinking of what could have happened. 
and how we would have dealt with it if it happened like that. And, you know, look, I, well, this happened some months ago, this happened at Christmas, and I have been raising this issue, the restrictions on maternity care for, for months now, since September of last year, to be honest, both with the Minister and with the with the regional hospital group, the Ireland South South West group, and, you know, a lot of other people have been raising it as well. But the reason I decided to tell my story is, and I was maybe a little reluctant, but myself and him were discussed this, and a few weeks ago we decided to do that, um, and we had put it on social media. And the reason I did that is, you know, look, not that my circumstances are any worse than anyone else's, and a lot of people have much worse stories than what we had, I just felt that if it could help add to the momentum and if it could put more pressure on the minister and on the HSE to get rid of these restrictions, because I do understand and we do understand that, you know, the hospitals and the maternity hospitals have been working under really, really challenging circumstances. But um, we're in a context now where everything is opening up. We can go to a museum, we can go to a busy shopping centre, from Monday, we can go for a meal outdoors and, you know, all the talk of we're all in this together. But it seems to me that mothers and their their partners are not. And it seems to be the very last area that's opening up. And, like, I mean, the other thing is that this isn't, like, if this was about just my being there um, at the birth, you know, like, I mean, and that's coming in a few weeks. It's And just about my my being there, but that if I felt that that wasn't beneficial to Emer and the baby, then I would absolutely accept that I that I wouldn't need to be there. But it's not the case. Like, I mean, the WHO, the chief medical officer, any amount of other health systems around the world rely on proof, uh, on clinical proof, that the presence of the partner, the support of the partner uh, at both appointments and in labour is to the benefit and to the safety of the mother. And even though I suppose I'm giving the perspective of the partner, it's most important for the woman, for the woman who mm, is... To have that to have that support. And thankfully, as precise. you say, in, you know, you and Emer's case uh, before Christmas, uh, it was uh, good, good news. But that hasn't been the case for all couples. And it would seem beyond cruel that a woman has to get that news while her husband is down in the car park looking up at the window, doesn't it? It's just, it does, it's, yeah. it's just not and right. It's just, I mean, as you say, you've been there before, so you knew what that, what that sounds like and what that looks like while having the support of your partner. Yeah, no, it is. It's devastating. It's devastating news. And look, I mean, I suppose we're not, as a society, it's not something we talk about very often, but miscarriage can be devastating. You know, it's, it's grief, you know, and... You know, to be arbitrarily separated from your partner when you're getting that news is, I would expect, extraordinarily difficult. And that's what we were worried about. And I know that that has happened to an awful lot of mothers. It has happened to an awful lot of partners because sometimes you know that there is a danger, but sometimes you don't. And and I know, to be fair, the hospitals have facilitated in some circumstances. But, you know, you can go along to a scan and think everything's going okay and then suddenly it's not, and suddenly it's bad news, and your partner might be outside uh, and mightn't be there. So, like, what, what what I believe should be the pl- in place is what exists in Britain, is what exists in the North, and is what exists in a number of other places, that the partner should be entitled to go. And if, 
you know, if couples decide not to do this, that's their right, but the partner should be entitled to be present to support the woman uh, at all the key appointments during all of labour and after childbirth, because at the minute, it's not all of labour. It has to be strong, established labour. And to be honest, Patricia, like that's no, really arbitrary. I know that's that's the burning question. When is when is somebody in strong labour? And of course, that whole thing of partners—they're not. You're not. You're not a visitor. No, no, absolutely not. And I understand. You know, restrictions on on visitors as well. Albeit, you know, compassion has to be shown there too. Like in, in medical care generally, um, and there are circumstances that people should be facilitated there too. Like. But no, we're not, partners are not there as visitors, they're there as essential support and like I say, the WHO, the British NHS, the Royal College of Midwives, there, like they, all the evidence suggests that the benefits in terms of safety and welfare is enormous, the support that's offered during labour and I know the response to, you know, my speech a lot of women have come forward talking about their fears of how frightened they were at the time of having to face parts of labour alone. But there's practical elements of it too, and I was talking about this in the speech. You know, and it's not just emotional support, and that is important too, and I would, I don't think that should be diminished, but after a baby's born, like, you know, that the Ireland South, so West guidelines say that the, the partner should be asked kindly to leave after a certain period of time, you know, the woman might have been going through labour for hours and hours and they might be completely exhausted and then they, they want to rest, they want to recuperate and the partner's job is to keep an eye on the baby and to mind the baby. Yeah, I, not, I spoke not, with a mum who had a, a C-section and she couldn't go for a shower, you know, because she said she could, she needed help and she said it wasn't the staff's fault, the staff were just uh, were, were under pressure. And also, you know, we're in a very different situation today to say where we were this term last year, even to say where we were when you and Ema went through that at Christmas. We hadn't started vaccinations. But I mean, at this stage, I'm assuming that all of the staff at the maternity hospital, indeed other hospitals, are fully vaccinated. Many of the pregnant mums are now uh, vaccinated. And it appears to be almost a postcode lottery because the restrictions at maternity hospitals seem to vary around the country. They do vary now. I don't think that they're anywhere adequate. I I think that they're excessive, the restrictions fairly everywhere but there are some hospitals better than others certainly so like that's why the Minister for Health I know there's a certain amount of operational independence locally but you know look when the HSC and the Minister decide that something's going to happen it happens like you know if they're really determined for this to happen then they can make it happen I'm absolutely certain of that um, and yes like the context is important here and like look yes I say well, Christmas was different but like at that stage too things were opening up too and I suppose some of this is what we value uh, and I am not against at all pubs and restaurants having the chance to, to do business I'm not against shops or anything like that I really welcome that and I'm glad because those businesses have suffered an awful lot so I'm delighted to see that but I just think it's strange that this is lagging so far behind that this is the last area where restrictions are being lifted effectively. Um, and, and when you raised it um, in the Dáil and you were speaking to the Minister Stephen Donnelly, what response did you get? He, I suppose, look, it was a long debate, so it was some hours after that before he wrapped up and he was responding to an awful lot of other people and he did touch on it. He said that it was important to him. Um, I had to attend a, another meeting that afternoon, so 
I wasn't there for his wrapping up speech, but he did come over to me and speak um, shortly after I spoke. And look, he he listened carefully. He understood my point of view. I think he tried to put it back on. Like there are some hospitals that are not out, are not providing even that basic minimum, a twenty week scan and neonatal care. Uh, and some hospitals are worse than others. But it's up to individual them. hospitals, though, isn't it, to set their own restrictions? That therein lies the problem. Therein lies the problem. But I suppose I made the point to him that even yes, he's right to pursue those hospitals. But even the better hospitals aren't providing enough, like twenty yeah. weeks and the, yeah. the neonatal. Like that still means leaving shortly after birth. That still means not being there for the start of labour. That still means that if and that's you know, what you face with Emer in seven weeks, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. That, you know, I wouldn't be entitled to go to that appointment now either. Okay. Um, and look, I want to say as well, I, you know, we've had the best of care, or not just recently, but all, over the last few years from the CMH. I have no fault with the, the, the staff, with the nurses, with the midwives. This is a policy issue, whether that's management at the, the regional level, the local level, or also with the minister, but the minister just needs to take responsibility for this. It can't be the last area that restrictions exist. Like I say again, like as much as it's important to me and to partners, it's of crucial important to the women who are undergoing labour, who are in pregnancy and they need that support. Yeah, and it can be, it can be, I can be a very frightening, frightening time indeed. Listen, uh, thank you for sharing your story with us. The best of luck to you and to Amer, to Emer and to, and to the baby in, in seven weeks' time. Um, and I won't do that. Do you, do you know what you're having? You don't have to share it with us, but do you, do you know what you're having, uh, a boy or a girl or? I do know, but I don't. No, 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 no. Okay, all right. It's an exciting time. Enjoy every minute of it, uh, Donica. And thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you. Patricia. Good morning Thank to you. you. Bye bye. That is uh, Cork TD, Sinn Féin's uh, Donica O'Leary. And actually somebody was on, uh, as we were just went into the interview, Donica, somebody was on saying, do we know, uh, can our visitor restrictions lift it at Cork University Hospital? I'm assuming somebody has a loved one in a hospital and wants to go up and see them. We've just checked in with Cork University Hospital and they say visitors are not allowed except for people visiting patients at end of life, parents of children in the paediatric ward, but even for parents of children in the paediatric ward, one parent or guardian is only allowed in at a time and children shouldn't visit the hospital even in any of those cases, even for end of life, they're not allowing uh, children in. So the visitor restrictions remaining in place at the Cork University Hospital. 1850 C103 Jobs. Oak Lodge Nursing Home, that's in Cloyne. They're looking for healthcare assistance. They also have a vacancy for a clinical nurse manager. At Rundles by the Pier, that's in Ahakista. They're looking for a chef or a cook. While an accounts slash admin assistant is wanted for maternity cover, that's in Charleville. And a lorry driver with a minimum of sea licence, please, is wanted to work in the Charleville area. You'll find all the details and many, many, many more job opportunities. We've got a busy job link. You can check it all out by going online to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie As we head into the bank holiday weekend, the countdown is underway for the reopening of outdoor dining and drinking. 
thinking from next Monday, June 7th to see how preparations are going. I'm joined by Michael O'Donovan, Chair of the Cork Branch of the Cork of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you are uh, welcome. Firstly, following the scenes last uh, weekend, I know it was predominantly in uh, cities, there had been calls to bring forward the reopening of hospitality. Do you think that that was a missed opportunity for your industry that you weren't, say, allowed to open from today and get the bank holiday weekend out of it? Yeah, Patricia, um, I think last Sunday night we had a, a meeting of our, um, say, executive in Dublin, on, on Zoom, obviously, and um, I, on Monday, contacted most of our TDs here in Cork, uh, both government and non-government TDs, and look, we did have discussions with them. Um, it went all the way to the Tornister's office, and um, the Tornister came back to us on Wednesday morning because we did say that we needed to know by Wednesday because uh, all bars are probably stocked by now um, ahead of the bank holiday weekend because not many people would be working tomorrow and Sunday um, barring food deliveries on Monday morning. So we needed to know really by Wednesday because staff would have been the biggest issue to get them um, uh, on rosters for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So look, we, we, we pointed out to them that we have facilities, we have toilets, you know, we have controlled areas, um, people's pent-up demand to get out and socialise. We're, look, it's what we do for a living. So uh, while we would have had, I suppose, reduced capabilities to normal, but we would have had outdoor areas. So we just asked them, would they consider leaving us open on Friday instead of the bank holiday Monday outdoors? But unfortunately, um, they, they didn't. And do, and do you know what their thinking is behind um, why why not leaving you open till Monday? No, we we didn't get. Uh, we we were just told that it's um, it's it. Look, they're proceeding with the roadmap and keeping the dates as they are. So um, that's all we were told, Patricia. They didn't give us reasoning why. Um, and look, it's probably a missed opportunity because with the weather this weekend uh, ahead. Look, I pr- I know the councils um, are trying to do. Um, work and provide, um, I suppose, facilities in places. But um, but look, it would have been, I think, it might have alleviated some of the scenes that we're potentially going to see again this weekend. And the cost and the clean-up afterwards as well. I mean, it's, it, was, it was crazy the way the streets were left the morning yeah. after. Yes, and look, look, as publicans, you know, like we have a long tradition. We, we look after our patch, as the man would say. So like we're all... Uh, take pride in our premises and especially outside. So if people were sitting outside, um, you know, all the rubbish would have been tidied disposed up. of yeah, and tidied yeah. up. And, yeah. you know, people would have had uh, the facilities to use the toilets in a controlled manner. So, like, uh, we, we, we thought it was um, a sensible thing to make the offer that we were prepared to go on Friday. But It fell, um, it it, fell on deaf ears. It fell, it on, fell deaf on deaf ears, ears OK, so talk to me about next Monday. What is it going to be like and what are the guidelines that publicans must follow and what, and what do the clientele and what do the customers need to know? Yeah, I suppose, look, when people, I suppose, firstly come to the, to the premises, uh, the contact tracing details will be required for one member of the party. So you can have up to six adults at a table. So one of those six people will have to give their name and telephone number. Uh, social distancing will be in place. So like people uh, will be sitting a metre apart. Uh, the table, the um, tables and chairs will be one metre uh, from the, the, the next uh, set of tables and chairs. Um, you can have children at the table with, with you if you're, say, in a resort or if you're, um, if you're planning a day trip. So, um, you know, if, if two or three families meet up, you can have six adults and up to nine kids uh, can join you. 
Um, uh, it's table service only, so there's no going to the bar, there's no going into the premises to ask for, you know, um, uh, anything. You have to wait at your table. And, um, you know, one of the things is face masks. If you do need to go into the toilet, um, face masks will have to be worn to, <clears throat> to go into the toilet. And if you have to go through a premises to a beer garden or, say, to the outdoor areas at the side of a premises, uh, you will have to wear the face masks going through the premises. So face masks will be important. Um, there is no requirement to have a meal, so people can just go in and have um, a drink if they want. But I suppose some places, uh, if they have kitchen brigades and you know they're, they're a costly commodity, some places might be asking that you would have a meal um, or have some food because obviously if people are just sitting, having a few drinks, uh, then the kitchen brigade. Yeah, I've, I've heard of people who have booked a table in for the coming weeks and the text back confirming it says you must have a meal. That's an individual that, choice. That, that is an individual choice because look, some, some places, you know, the kitchen brigades are, as I said, a very expensive commodity to have in your kitchen and if they're sitting around uh, not doing anything, you know, that business is going to be under severe pressure, as you can imagine. So I think, look, just for the couple of weeks that we're in this situation, some premises uh, will ask will, you. Will ask others, that, you know, that are traditional bars that only do drink. Obviously, they won't be asking or there any need to have uh, food. But it's just the the, the premises that have uh, that have kitchen brigades. Look, they'll just need a bit of support for a couple of weeks. To get yeah, but it. that's substantial. That's so that became a joke in the end. The nine euro substantial meal. That rule is gone. That rule is gone. This yeah. time, thank God. So there's no divide between pubs that can do food or can't do food. If you once you've an outdoor area on Monday, um, you're good to go. Lots of people asking about a time limit, uh, Michael. Yeah, look, in the guidelines, there is no time. There's no time limit. Um, uh, there's no maximum time limit. But again, some places look. It goes back to the kitchen brigades. If they are, uh, if they have a kitchen brigade in the kitchen, they may implement. You know, the two-hour limit. I think some are doing. Um, it's just so. Look, if people have a meal and sit there for a couple of hours afterwards. Uh, the kitchen brigade again, you know, they'll have food in and obviously it'll be a big cost, so some will. But I think, look, people, if they're, I suppose, cute and if they book a time half seven, eight o'clock, most uh, places won't be having a sitting at half past nine, ten, so they'd be there for the night. Mm. It's probably only, you know, applicable maybe five, um, you know, half six time slots like that. So, like, if you speak to your uh, whatever premises you're going to, um, I'm sure there, there's ways that they can work it, but um, look, they will need for a couple of weeks just to. And I think it'll only be in you know high peak times, uh, the weekends during the Friday, the, Saturday, I, maybe Sunday, but during the week it won't be it, an issue. It, it won't be as big an yeah. issue, yes. And look, it's just uh, the places need to be viable to keep going because they will have uh, vastly reduced numbers for a lot of them. So look, the, the time limits will just be in place hopefully for a while for the few that will be operating it. Okay, and you will you always have to book? Will there be walk-ins? No, you, yeah, look, again, that's to the individual um, uh, premises. There is no uh, guideline on having to book. Um, so like um, walk-ins are perfectly acceptable. But again, look, I suppose for certainty, some premises will operate a booking system. And I suppose, especially those that have limited seat capacity, um, they will operate uh, maybe a, a booking system because they don't want people just turning up and not being able to, to service them. So 
um, some will and some won't. Okay, and but if you do want to walk in, you will be asked for contact details. You will have to give a name and yes, and and, your, and telephone number. Your, your telephone and number. then okay, so this is all to do with outdoor drinking and dining from next Monday. Indoor drinking and dining then begins. What's the date in July? The fifth of July, hopefully. 5th of July. Um, <laughs> is that confirmed now, or is that pending? How everything goes across June? That's pending. How everything okay. goes across June. Hopefully, we will learn that. Um, uh, what we're being told is about the tw- summer, the week of the 20th, 21st of June, that, that week, somewhere along there, It'll they will be in a position to make a, an announcement on it. They're flying through vaccines, though. By the time we get to the 5th of July, Michael, we should be, you know, well underway of probably three quarters of the population with at least one vaccine. Yes, that's the, the hope. And look, uh, we have ongoing discussions look, this week, every week with government. So we hope by the time we get to the 5th of July, the uh, the guidelines that are in place now will be reviewed again um, prior to that announcement or, or that week of the announcement. So we'd even be hoping that the guidelines will be reviewed and we might have a um, be in a bit better position by the time the 5th of July comes in regard to these guidelines. OK, and while we wish everybody the best of luck and hope it all goes uh, well, I, I take it your dearest wish, Michael, is that this is our final, final lockdown, that we will never oh. have to revisit this again. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's been so, I suppose, uh, mentally challenging, but also very severely financially challenging when we had to close uh, our businesses down with stock, you know, food waste, uh, even drink waste, you know, that we've had to go through. So um, we don't want to ever go back to the position of having to close our businesses again. Um, and look, hopefully, as you said, with the vaccines, and the rollout, we won't have to revisit it again. Yeah. Okay, listen, you look after yourself and as always, pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Good morning to you. That is uh, Michael O'Donovan, uh, who's chair of the Cork branch of the Vintners Federation of Ireland in advance of the opening up for outdoor dining and drinking next Monday. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Today, Friday the 5th of June is the 5th anniversary of the opening of the community shop in Court McSherry. We couldn't let the day pass without chatting about the success of this shop and joining me from the community store is uh, Dara Gannon. Good morning to you, Dara. Good morning, Patricia. And, yeah. and firstly, well done to everyone. I mean, this shop really highlights, doesn't it, the power of people getting together as a community. Oh, it, it absolutely does. And uh, thanks for being on your, on your show again, Patricia. It's great to be here. Um, yeah, we're really proud of the last five years, proud of the, the community. Um, you know, we're proud of the reception that we've got over the last five years. And, you know, we're, if I may say so, we're proud of ourselves for getting to this stage. Just explain and remind listeners how the shop operates. Okay, so um, for for years, of course, there was a shop in Court Mac and then it closed. So, um, you know, this left a a deep void in in the community. Um, We have a population around here of about 600 people. That's doubled in the summer. And the nearest shop was five kilometres away. So this wasn't an acceptable scenario for us. So to help combat the decline in services and and, and I guess rural isolation you know the community shop idea was born so we we put together a public meeting and um that was back in september 2015 um we assessed the feasibility of of starting like a a community owned and operated shop we went down the route of starting a cooperative 
um, which meant that we would have local community investment in, in the shop um, via shareholders. And the startup of the shop was actually initially funded by the sale of these shares from the community. And that, that gathered us enough starting capital to open the door and, and uh, on the 1st of June 2016. And then talk me through, I mean, over the five years, the shop has really expanded its services, hasn't it? It has. I mean, you know, what we try to do is, is um, reinvent ourselves a little every year and, and see what other services can we provide for our community. Um, you know, we, we started off with um, your, uh, I, I guess, a, a, a grocery store, you know, with um, confectionery, you know, sweets, ice creams, etc., newspapers. Um, Can I say then, famous for your 99s? <laughs> we are. Now, unfortunately, this year we weren't able to do it, but we're going to be back again next year. OK. And there's a problem with the flakes anyway, so so you're probably better that. off. Yeah. <laughs> OK, so so that's what it was at the beginning. That was 2016. Then in 2017, you moved it on another bit. We did. In 2017, we added a bookstore upstairs in, in a spare room that we had that we weren't using. And it, it's amazing. We've nearly sold, I'd say, since we started the bookstore, we've nearly sold 10,000 books. <sighs> So it's unbelievable, you know. Now, when you say sold, they were only a euro a book, wasn't it? And two euro for the hardbacks. That's right. Yeah, that's right. crazy. So, it is. It is. I sure you know. It's. Um, I, I. I use it myself. It's a great service, and um, and uh, we we take uh, books that are being donated by the public, and uh, we put them on on display in our in our kitted out library, and and it's really well managed by one of our volunteers, Dermot and Bernadette. Well done. So that was, and then you did the drop the drop off parcel service. That was that was twenty seventeen as well, wasn't it? And um, uh, yep, in twenty. And again, this was just to provide another service to the community. You know, we thought, why not? And um, it kind of happened by accident initially at the start, and then as time went on, we thought, look, why not just advertise this? And if people aren't home, if they're at work, and they want somewhere to have a parcel delivered, so we're here every day from nine in the morning to six in the evening, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's a simple service, but it's a service uh, that's needed. Now, we'll all remember Hurricane Ophelia and the power outages uh, in back in October of 2017. So 2018, you decided you'd do something. You weren't going to be without power in the shop. That's right. Well, I mean, if, if, if we go back to October 2017 and Ophelia, we, we had no power and, you know, with trees down everywhere. Um, I think nearly five, six, seven days the, the village was without power and some places even longer. So <clears throat> obviously we lost a lot of stock that was in our fridges and freezers during that time. And um, we managed to keep the shop open every single day. Um, but, you know, things like dairy projects, we weren't getting any milk deliveries, any bread deliveries. There was, there was a big, um, big issue there. So what we decided to do the following year was get a backup generator in place so we would always have have power. We'd always have Wi-Fi, you know, we'd always have a light on for the community. So, you know, when, when it was uh, middle of winter and dark outside and maybe it was darkness everywhere, you'd still have a bit of light in the shop. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And then fresh veg was added in 2019. That's right. We um, we uh, got onto All Fresh, uh, Cork Supplier, and um, and they installed a, like a, a, fr- a fresh veg fridge in our in our shop where we have um, fresh veg delivered twice a week now. And then last year, I love this, the, the rental office hub upstairs. That's right. Well, we had a, a room that we were initially going to use for like um, pop-up expedition, uh, exhibitions and things like that. But it, it wasn't really being utilised to its potential. So we changed tack really. And we actually got a, a grant to, um, to update it into like rental office space. So now we have, um, we, we actually then split it further into two 
where we have one office um, in the front that's, that's rented out annually to a local businessman. And the second office then, is, which is partitioned, the back part of it, is um, is our, our rental office hub where you can rent by the half day, the day or the full day. Brilliant. And I imagine what people coming on holidays who might still be doing it need to do a bit of work or need to check in with the office. Be very handy for them. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's a, there's a big mobile home park here. Um, I'm not sure how many carbons there are, but it must be 50 or 60 or maybe 100. Um, so, you know, uh, it, you can imagine if people didn't have to go drive to their own home to work from home, maybe in the city, they could they could come and uh, rent rent out the office mm. here for a few hours a day. And then, Dara, outside of, you know, going in to buy your bits or pick up the paper every day, what what role do you think the shop also plays for the people of the village? I mean, is is it very much, a, is there a social side to it almost? There absolutely is. I mean, you know, there was one time when rural isolation was on the lips of everyone's mouths in, in this area. Uh, 2015 was a very bleak time. It felt like everything was closing. It felt like it was just dark, you know. And I think the shop was like the catalyst in an awful lot of... Um, changes in in our in our feeling in 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 the emotion of the place i you know we we had pubs restaurants reopening we had new businesses popping up all along all, all around the same time the shop started and it became it became the center of the village you know this is the meeting place for for young people and old people alike you you're you could stick ahead with the door here now and you could you could see two old age pensioners sitting having a chat outside <laughs> or you could see a gang of teenagers you know but it has become like the heartbeat of the community Ah, yeah, and it literally is where everybody knows your name. It's it's fantastic, and there's always yeah. a gorgeous atmosphere in there. And I'm I mean, and I'm assuming you make some profit. And if so, what do you do with the profit? We do. I mean, the, we've probably increased our sales on average now um, about ten percent every year, year over year, for the last five years. So we're heading in the right direction, and we've self invested. Then you know, um, obviously, all these extra services that we provide each year, they all they all have a, come with a cost. So whatever's left over. From, from that, any profits that we have, we put back into community projects. Everything, I mean, there's a list of, of probably 20 or 30 different events and activities, but all our profits, we decided, um, our shareholders decided and agreed that all the profits that we have would be put back into the community it, with regards to local projects or local events. It's brilliant. It is from start to finish. It is just brilliant. Do you know, have any, has anybody else followed your lead? Do you know, Dara? Do you know, it's, we've, We've had quite a lot of um, interest from other communities up up in the country, um, but I haven't actually seen the output yet. But but I know that we've we've um, been um, we've been asked for help and, and support, and we've given it in, in many cases. But the success of it are the volunteers, aren't they? The the people who go in and man the shop for you. Absolutely. I mean, we have thirty active, over thirty active volunteers, maybe thirty two, thirty three. Um, and you know without them we couldn't exist Yeah, You've got uh, Dennis Cahalan there who's the chair of the or, of the committee is he with you there? He's with me Alright right listen Dara thank you for that and uh, thanks uh, for joining us let's have, a, let's have a quick chat with uh, Dennis who's chair of the Court McSherry Community Shop Good morning to you Dennis Hi Patricia uh, five, are you? Are you I, I'm very well thank you five years on it's an incredibly listening to Dara the success of this uh, shop and I know the motto is by the community for the community you must be thrilled with the success of it 
I am indeed, and you're, you're and sorry you're not with us this morning because uh, you you'd, you'd have been having a slice of a lovely birthday cake from <laughs> Brendan, who sells cakes in our shop here, and along with the cool main cakes. And, and listen, Bren- and Brendan that, makes so. Brendan makes the finest cakes. I'm I'm well uh, aware of Brendan's cakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'll be down. I'll be t- tell him I'll be down another day, and I'll get one of his cakes. But oh, it's it's, it's, in, welcome, it's, in, it's an incredible success story, though, isn't it, for the community? It is amazing. Like I mean, uh, I mean, when we were starting five years ago, and I. Just, I'm only here kind of by default, really. But uh, I was told by our people said to me like that'll never work, like and uh, which was not my first day here. But anyway, uh, it has worked and it is expanding all the time. Which I'm delighted to see is that we are taking it a step forward. As Dara has been saying to you, every year there's some little further step forwards, you know. And, and all uh, of those, I, I think it's it's great privilege because five years ago when we were taking it over. Uh, some of the pubs were closed and everything. The village was going on downhill yeah. in a big way. I, I thought anyway. And now the business is starting opening up this weekend. It's great to, great to see, you know. It's fantastic. And so many people will be visiting Corp Mac over the summer and popping into the shop. Listen, uh, once again, congratulations to everybody involved. You're doing incredible work there and long may it last. And uh, thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks very much. Thanks, thanks Dennis. Very much bye bye. Dennis Cahalan there, the chair. And before that, Dara Gannon. And I've just seen a WhatsApp in uh, from Councillor Paul Hayes saying, Patricia, huge thanks to all of the volunteers who kept the door open at the Court McSherry community shop during storms, snow, blizzards, power outages, days when the village was thronged with visitors and obviously through the current pandemic. We weren't sure that the project would last and remain viable when we launched five years ago, but it has stood the test of time. And I've said before, I believe it was the catalyst for the rejuvenation of Court Market's inclusion on the Wild Atlantic Way and it gave the confidence of other businesses in the village to remain open and invest and improve in their properties. Well done all again and happy first fifth birthday to the Court McSherry Community Shop and that's uh, from Councillor Paul Hayes who happens to be a resident of Court McSherry. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Lot of commentary in throughout the morning. Firstly, let me go back to something that I mentioned earlier on the show when I spoke about George, one of our listeners who contacted us, who was driving behind this huge high-powered tractor last night. Now he accepts silage season and that they're out on the roads late at night but he said he was absolutely blinded by the lights on the back of this high powered tractor. That then led to Pat, one of our listeners who is a tractor driver explaining that those lights should not be on out on the public road, that they're special lights they're put onto the tractor so that they're working in the field. Some people were calling them working lights, somebody else called them ploughing lights but when somebody leaves the field, goes out onto the public road those lights should be switched on. Okay, we've had a host of further commentary in on that one. Um, Somebody says, Patricia, most of those young lads driving those tractors are barely legal. They're speeding. Uh, Often you'll see them speaking, uh, talking, chatting on their telephones. I I know what I'm talking about, says this listener, because I see them passing my house every day during the silage season. They know nothing about the legalities of these lights. They They probably think it makes them look cool. A bit like the boy racers with the zooped up cars and the windows rolled down and the music blaring, says that listener. And then Jim says, Patricia, I think that that lady, now this was Marion, when I read out George's comment, Marion was first in and she reacted by saying that George would be giving out if there wasn't adequate lights 
on the particular tractor and she used the phrase that idle minds give idle words and she says what, what is it with Irish people always giving out so she wasn't happy with George giving out about these bright lights even though poor old, poor old George was making the point that he was blinded she, they, was, they were dazzling and if he went to overtake he was afraid to overtake because he felt that he, he'd be totally blinded as he overtook and he mightn't see somebody coming against him Jim says I think Mariam owes George an apology about complaining about the bright lights and the idle minds comment and another thing that is very blinding can be sensor lights facing the roads there's one particular sensor light near where I live it seems to be on all the time when you come around a sharp bend on the road it can be very blinding you nearly have to stop now it does seem to not be as bad of late so I presume they must have got complaints from people and it's been turned away from the road or facing the ground more so people need to be careful when they're putting up sensor lights outside their homes as well says Jim Tom in Mallow says Patricia George is just one of those people who would have to find something wrong it would be way worse if any of those people driving those tractors had poor lights tell George to go to the beach instead he'll find no tractors there are no silage there and that's from Tom who I assume I could be wrong but Tom do I take it that you are one of the people involved in silage making maybe you're not but I would just take from that comment that you possibly are Okay also coming into us Patricia that man George is right uh, the, oh, oh this is Pat who was talking about some of the young lads driving the tractors uh, that man is so right there's a lot of pups driving tractors says this listener. Morning Patricia Marion must have very Marion herself must be the one with the very idle mind. She is talking rot. The problem with the tractor lights is they're shining down on the traffic behind you and George is right you literally can't see something needs to be done about them. And Jared Newmarket says in relation to the bright lights on the tractors the bright lights high on the cabs front and back. They're known as work lights. For example, they are to be used in a field uh, they're, they're to be used in a field while you're doing your work. They are not permitted to be used on the public road. The only lights to be used while on the road are your two headlights on the front grille, nose of the tractor, and obviously your taillights. Those driving have their work lights on while out on the road. I feel they have no respect for other road users. Maybe they know no better. The guards really need to clamp down on this. And that's some journey market. And I did say that when I was talking to Pat. Could it be... It, could it be the possibility that A, it is it is a younger person driving it and they're unaware that they're meant to switch it off? Then I also asked him, was it possible that they didn't realise that they'd left them on? But he said that there's enough kind of sensors and flashing lights in front of you in the cab that you would actually see that you'd left the uh, lights on. And Breed says, Patricia, regarding tractors on our roads. I was coming up to the crossroads at Cross Barry last Tuesday night. It was about 11 30 p.m. from the Calumny direction when suddenly this huge tractor all lit up exactly like what George was talking about with something attached to the front of it which appeared to be very wide came from the Bandon side going towards Calumny and could hardly take the bend with the speed that the tractor driver was driving at. I know tractors don't travel at huge speeds but this one really seemed to be flying it. I had to stop just before the cross 
to let him turn left towards me. I put my hand out the window and made the sign to him to please, please slow down. He started hooting the horn at me. Imagine. At 11.30 at night, there was another tractor and trailer behind him. They were obviously out working late. late. Some of these drivers that drive these big machines think they own the road. They should remember that these tractors are very heavy and they can cause unnecessary damage if they're not driven at a proper speed. Thanking you and that's from Breed. That sounds like a scary, scary situation to find yourself in. And most of them chug along, not... at very high speeds but maybe at that hour of the night they were just trying to get the work done and I appreciate they have to work late and all of that but lads and lassies if there's any lassies driving slow it down please that is that really does sound like an accident waiting to uh, happen Hi Patricia have did I hear in your programme has there a date been given for the First Holy Communions no that well yes and no I was speaking with Father Tim Hazelwood earlier on and I asked him because whenever we have a priest on now, because we always get calls in about the First Holy Communions and the confirmations. And he was saying in his parish, the parish of Killa, they have set dates for confirmation and for communion. It'll be individual parishes will set will set it. So I'm assuming they'll communicate with the schools. So you'll find out from the schools. But it is looking like First Holy Communion and confirmation ceremonies will be going ahead. They're certainly not going to be going ahead in the early summertime. Traditionally, we'd have, we'd have communions over by now. They're normally always in May, aren't they? They certainly, I don't think, will be happening in June. Maybe some will happen in July, but it is looking like August. And into September for the Holy Communions, I'd say the children will be gone back and they'll be gone into third class before they will get to make it. Even though I did hear, again, it varies from parish to parish and it seems to vary around the country. I heard of somebody up the country whose little one was has gone and went into third class in September and that communion class who've, who are now in third class still haven't made their communion. So in that particular parish they're going to have the second class pupils who are due to make it this year and they're going to have the class from last year and I don't know how widespread that is because a lot of communions did go ahead. Not the usual communion ceremony that you were able to have a lot of people inside in the church and as I said to Father, Father Tim it caused huge sadness when Granny and Granddad or the aunts and uncles aren't allowed in when there is an actual communion ceremony going on. So check in individual parishes and check in with your schools. They should be starting to issue dates soon. John in Carrigaline this was when I mentioned the toilets Portaloos. The county councillor delivering portaloos around the county kind of scenic areas and beach areas and Crosshaven was one of them John says Patricia the council are only inviting people into Crosshaven by installing extra toilets what about the rubbish left behind in the area it's only a matter of time before somebody is killed on a bicycle between Carrigaline and Crosshaven it is the die it is the diehards need to use that road. Cyclists are a major nuisance in our area and they don't use the cycle lane. People who are planning this, John and Carrigaline, if you're going out cycling this weekend and there are cycle lanes, please use them. We all have to learn to respect the road and we all have to learn to share the road as well. We were speaking about marriages and the fact that Boris Johnson got married in a Catholic church last weekend, even though it was his third wedding, but the other two had been civil ceremonies and they hadn't been in the Catholic church and that's why he was entitled to get married there. Patricia, I'm also wondering when you're talking about marriages, how did Daniel O'Donnell get married in a church when his wife was already married? 
married uh, she she got an annulment and Father Tim did say that you can't get annulments it's they're difficult things to get but you can have your marriage annulled and if your marriage is annulled then you are entitled to remarry inside in the Catholic Church Patricia last weekend when we saw those scenes around the in, mainly in the city of large groups of people uh, gathering what I, I would like to know is why when pubs were doing takeaway drinks why did they not allow the clients in to use their toilets they weren't allowed to do it they were allowed to do takeaway but you couldn't have anybody on to the premises. That will change now from Monday when outdoor dining and outdoor drinking is allowed. People will be allowed to go into wherever you're having your drinks or wherever you're having your food. You'll be sitting outside, but you will be allowed to go into the premises to go to the toilet. But as we heard this morning, when you're doing that, you need to bring your mask with you. You will be asked to wear your mask when you go inside to use the uh, toilet. But once you're seated for drinks or food, obviously you won't have to uh, put your mask on. Hi, Patricia. I think parents should be aware now of how unfairly apprentices are being treated. Anybody want to add to this? Those who should have attended college last September still haven't been called. Why are they being treated differently? Some of these worked every day throughout the pandemic and unlike some who sat at home on their pup payment. This is not fair. Why are apprentices being discriminated against again? They should be qualified in four years and please don't blame COVID as they are the same as other college students. No wonder no apprenticeships are being taken up. Are there many apprentices caught with that? That they should have attended college last September but they obviously haven't attended college at all so it is going to delay their apprenticeships and we need God knows we've done enough interview uh, interviews on that over the years we need, we desperately need to have more apprenticeships and more people taking up apprenticeships I mentioned when I was speaking with the gang at the Court McSherry Community Shop, they do wonderful 99s but they're not doing them this year I was wondering was it anything to do with the flame but I don't think it is. But anyway, I mentioned there's a shortage of flakes uh, this year. Well, our North Cork man who listens to us in Germany, by the way, he's listening to us today in sunny Germany. Could you send over some of the sun? So, Sai Patricia, hope you're well. I am shocked to hear on your programme today that there will be no cabaret flakes for the 99s this year. Well, but would a cabaret twirl not be the same thing? Hope by the next time I get back the flakes will be back. Stay safe and have a nice bank holiday weekend from your man, your North Cork man in a very sunny Germany. Yeah, we've got a huge issue with flakes and the warning has been given out over the last couple of weeks. I think we've been hearing more and more about it. Now, it's not just an Irish thing. There is a worldwide shortage and it seems just not enough flakes have been produced. And now I know some places that sell ice creams and who are known for their 99s have been stockpiling them. But even the shops that have been stockpiling them reckon that by mid-July it'll be very tough to get a 99 You'll get the ice cream, but you won't get the flake. It'll be tough to get one anywhere in the country. We have been hearing about the impending shortage shortages of 99s since April. And it's the company that makes the flakes put out the warning that there was going to be a worldwide shortage. So you can get your 99, but you'll be 
Well, you can't say hold on the flake because there won't be any flake to put in it. 1850 Our lines are open. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With the new Explore Cork app, a Cork County Council initiative featuring over 850 places to see and things to do. The Skibbereen Country Market is open. They started at half eleven this morning and they will be wrapping up at half past one. It's in Abbey Strury Church Hall in Skibbereen. Cranes Walk and Roll takes place over this June Bank holiday weekend. You're invited to wheel, cycle, run, jog, walk or swim your way through a five kilometre challenge. Funds raised will help build a fully inclusive, fully accessible playground for families and friends of Crane clients. The Crane Centre is in ovens and it provides solutions for families with neurophysical disabilities. And you can find out more by going to Rock N Roll Crane Centre Ireland. Kildallery Drive in Bingo is on tonight, 8 o'clock. That's in the Creamery Car Park. While down west, Castletown Bear Car Bingo is on tonight. It's at the east end of the pier. And please note the change of location. And that'll be at half past seven. Castletown Bear Car Bingo, their jackpot is €1,400 in 49 calls. Please arrive on time and you're asked to follow the steward's direction. And this year, the National Hospice Movement is opening a virtual sunflower remembrance garden online. The garden will be open for the month of June and you're asked to dedicate a sunflower in memory of a loved one to help raise funds for your local hospice and specialist palliative home care services. You can find out more by logging on to togetherforhospice.ie forward slash Sunflower Days. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. And when I mentioned the worldwide shortage of flakes, a couple of people have pointed out that Lidl and Aldi are selling flakes, including uh, Colette said, I was listening to you talking about the flakes. I saw them yesterday in Aldi. They're over the freezer section. 4 99 for a box. I'm surprised when there's a shortage and they were never there before it says new on the price sticker yeah but I think it's the production of flakes that would go into shops the you know they come in very large boxes and it's the ones it's the commercial production I think of flakes rather than the smaller ones I don't know if there's going to be a shortage of flakes inside in the shop or not so I suppose you could you could always just buy the ice cream and bring your own flake with you if you want it instead and staying on summer and sunshine Michael says hopefully fingers crossed we're looking forward to summer weather for the bank holiday weekend well for part of it but it's said to get better next week anyway says Michael that would be very welcome but with the glorious weather comes the gathering of so many people drinking partying you name it it's extremely difficult to blame those who do simply as there's so little choice we have little to zero outdoor facilities in this country we're not prepared for outdoor activities which really is shameful we could create a massive outdoor tourism industry if but it's a big if we only put a tiny bit of effort into it it's all about forward thinking which seems to be in short supply in this country of ours however it's not too late in the day to start as foreign holidays maybe on the wane and maybe that's 
that's one of the we're always trying to look for pluses out of the pandemic and I think that could be one of the pluses because you are starting to see businesses investing in outdoor facilities because we have to move so many things outside so it could be the start of uh, something uh, Michael we could end up and I think the problem in this country with the outside and with the weather is to do with the weather is to do with you know you invest a lot of money and then if we get a very wet summer and God knows we've had wet summers in the past the businesses then are at a loss so we have to we sort of have to try and organise outdoor but always be mindful of the weather and do something to facilitate that as well. Thank you for your text, Michael, and hope you are keeping well. John on tractors, when we've been talking about tractors out on the road in the silage season, John is wondering, many, if you look at many of the tractors out on the roads, many of them are young uh, drivers and they appear, they obviously are driving alone on the tractor. Are they driving on provisional licences? Should they be driving alone? If they're only on a provisional licence, I would think many of them do not have full licences and therefore are they in Short are the Gardaí checking up on this, says John. And Kieran says, are tractors allowed to operate overnight? As in, is there a law as to what time they must finish work? Surely they should stop operating from a no- noise point of view and with those bright lights shining into bedroom windows. Well, I suppose for the side of season, it's a short enough period. And listen, farmers are under enough pressure as it is. And, you know, when we get periods where the weather is good and they're able to do the work, they get out there. It's a short enough uh, season. So I don't know if there's rules and regulations. From a noise point of view, yeah, I, I can appreciate that if you're living in a rural area. It must be awful to have that kind of noise going on. But I suppose if you're living in a rural area, you'll accept it's not going to be for a very long period of uh, time. Thank you for your call to 1850-333-103. Now, this week on our Cork versus COVID feature. It's on hotels and of course hotels opened up their doors for the first time this year to the general public this week. Our senior news reporter Fiona Corkham has been speaking with Conor O'Toole of the Clayton Hotel, Michael Magner of the Vienna Woods, Fergal Hart of the Kingsley and Fiona Toomey of the Kingsley and its sister hotel Photo Island Resort to dress up and get out you know my daughter came in this morning did my makeup <laughs> Mary she came in from Napra so it was great we didn't have excitement like that no oh no, no I, I'd, I'd be in bed for the day <laughs> oh definitely looking forward to my steak tonight no Roy and Lily O'Sullivan were the first guests to check into the Clayton Hotel in Cork City on Wednesday hotels across the city and county were delighted to be welcoming guests once again really excited to get these guys in to celebrate big occasions with us it's why we're all in the industry it's to you know celebrate with these people look after people show them a nice time you know and it's it's to create that that you know sense of escape for these guys you know you've been in you've either been cocooning or you know you've been isolating so now we can get out and enjoy it a little bit albeit perimeters are still in place but thankfully we're allowed to look after our guests we can obviously, you know, serve them with their, their food and beverage while they're staying in the hotel. So it's great. Conor O'Toole is general manager of the Clayton. And while hotels were celebrating this week, the reopening is not without its challenges. The biggest challenge for us in town, I suppose, is, uh, you know, attracting staff, really. I think a lot of people have, have left the industry. Uh, and I know from colleagues that closer hotels are finding it very difficult to get their teams back. People have gone, one of the, I suppose, our strategy was to stay open, so we held on to a lot of our senior team and, and core players in that. 
so we've, we've less of a, a struggle in that. But certainly from talking to people around town, it's, it's attracting staff back in. Chairman of the Irish Hotels Federation and General Manager of the Kingsley Hotel, Fergal Hart, says the lack of international visitors is impacting on city centre hotels in particular. I think ourselves and, and other city hotels, you know, would always have struggled a little bit during the summer and, and that's going to be the case again uh, due to COVID. But I think um, that will level itself out over the next kind of 12 months. So we would hope that once air travel uh, resumes in, in, in July, that we'll start to see international travel coming back towards the end of this year. Um, and then obviously that we'll see more kind of corporate travel as well uh, into next year. Sales and marketing manager of the Kingsley Hotel and its sister hotel, Fota Island Resort, Fanola Toomey, says there is a difference in the bookings between the city and county hotels. I suppose in the last two months, the bedrooms in Fota Island Resort um, the pickup was was really there for for Vota, and now in the last month, I suppose we can see that in the Kingsley. So the pattern would have been always um, looking at Vota and the Kingsley. That Kingsley would have been the shorter leading time. Um, so actually, now looking at the business on the books for the Kingsley, um, there's a very promising summer ahead. She says the strong domestic market will hopefully make up for the lack of international visitors. For Vota Island Resort, uh, the staycations are strong enough to carry them through the summer. Um, for the Kingsley, um, we can certainly see um, a different mix of business as this would be I suppose more of a corporate property and with international travel throughout the summer um, but we've certainly replaced a lot of that with domestic. Michael Magner of the Vienna Woods says that there's some positivity for weddings. Our phones are busy and inquiries are healthy uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, for June weddings are 25 guests July 5th we're expecting 50 and then from the most recent announcements last weekend uh, government had advised from August to 100 um, and that's welcome I suppose the fortunate position now of 25 or more guests as we move forward into the summer it's welcome and um, it's a glimpse of hopefully what uh, we will be returning to normality in the future. But he says the sector has been hit hard and is missing out on the overseas visitors. He says the government's supports are badly needed. We do know that the government though in their economic stimulus plan for recovery from Covid that they have announced further supports and those supports are welcomed uh, and they're appreciated um, but those supports need to stay in place for as long as restrictions are in place because um, the industry has been battered not just hotels but anybody you know having a hospitality business or a business that's connected to the hospitality sector and thanks to our senior news reporter Fiona speaking with those uh, hotelli- hoteliers in the city. And Falter Ireland have estimated that the reopening of the tourism and the hospitality sector this week uh, will deliver €1 billion Euro of an economic boost over the next eight weeks or so. They reckon this weekend half a million people will be on the move. Hotels themselves are saying bookings have now started to soar for late June, July and into uh, August. Uh, many people, even this this week are availing just of a night away so that they can have a meal in advance of the restaurants opening indoors next month. Guest houses and self-catering groups, they say they're 90% booked for July and August. Now that's in coastal and near tourist attractions and it is starting to emerge of a two-tier hotel sector recovery. You've got all the popular coastal and tourist areas. They reckon they're 80 to 90% occupancy booked already for July and August but you contrast that with some of the more urban areas like Dublin, like Limerick, uh, even Cork City that they're struggling to recover that they're not getting the same bookings as, as you would get in the more popular tourist areas or by the beach and I suppose that is to be expected but can we just wish the best of luck to all of the hotels who have opened and 
indeed everybody opening up for indoor, outdoor dining on uh, Monday. And John Ahern is the PRO for Arriglan GAA and he says this weekend is an important one for the village of Arriglan as our community field is hosting one of the region's first driving concerts. Entertainment is by Declan Anger, Michael Cahill and Pat Daly and things get underway half past two on the bank holiday Monday and they are looking forward to it and we hope everybody has a really, really great time. On Young People on Tractors, Ross says... a 16-year-old can drive a tractor. How safe is that? Anthony said, why Why are we not out vaccinating the 18-year-olds and upwards? They are the most vulnerable age group and they, they have had it surely by now. It would hopefully stop all the commotion of young people meeting up in large numbers. We need to take a look at the way we are rolling out the vaccine and start to look at younger people. And Margaret has a suggestion for people who are missing out or may miss out on their 99s this year. If the flakes going into short uh, supply you could use a twirl instead. Court today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And we're talking about hotels opening. Thanks to Anne in Middleton. She's just contacted us to say uh, we stayed at the Celtic Ross Hotel in Roscarbury this week as we were celebrating our 56th wedding anniversary. Congratulations to you, Anne. The staff were absolutely fabulous and they happened to ask us, are you celebrating anything? And we happened to mention it's our wedding anniversary. Later that day, we got a beautiful plate with chocolate all marked out saying happy wedding anniversary and beautiful carrot cake. It made our day. Isn't that fantastic? So well done to all the 
team. That's the gang. Uh, Neil Grant, their fantastic team there at the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carby. So it doesn't surprise me, Anne, that you were well looked after. Glad you enjoyed it. And once again, happy wedding anniversary to you. Mark Malone is our movie reviewer and he joins us as always on a Friday. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. Now, the two movies this week, the first is Cruella and the other is The Woman in the Window. Let us play a trailer from Cruella. From an early age, I realised I saw the world differently. That's ugly. That's cruel. My name's Estella, not Cruella. Estella, get your desiccated brain working. But the thing is, I'm not sweet, Estella. I never was. The meeting, darling. I remember. You have a bit of an extreme side. People do need a villain to believe in. <laughs> I'm Cruella. It's spelled devil, but it's pronounced devil. Now, I'm assuming this is 101 Dalmatians Cruella, who was once Estella. Yes, it's a prequel. Um, okay. As opposed to a, a remake of uh, 101 Dalmatians, yeah, this kind of basically tells us the story of how um, she became from she became from Estella to Cruella, and um, it's Disney again looking back on its kind of catalog, going, okay, what can we do? What can, <laughs> can we kind of remake here? Uh, but this time it's not a remake, as I say, it's a prequel. So at least you know they've gone into some effort here to kind of try and come up with something a little bit different and uh, a little bit new whilst uh, using the kind of Cruella name. Uh, you might remember it's already been filmed. It was uh, back in the, the 60s, I think. There was a cartoon. It was an animated film. And back in the 90s, uh, Glenn Close, of course, uh, memorably uh, playing Cruella de Vil in uh, the live-action version of 101 Dalmatians. She and, was amazing. Uh, she was extraordinary. She, she was. was. She's, they've invited her here to be in part of the, the making of the film because she is one of the executive uh, producers uh, of this. And so basically what we have here is we have Emma Stone playing the character of Estella slash Cruella. So she begins like that, Estella, this kind of very well shy, kind of introverted little girl who witnesses her mother being killed by Dalmatians. So, so that instigates then her hatred of Dalmatians for the rest of her life. She ends up on the streets and she ends up in the streets of London and she meets up with kind of two kind of pickpockets who kind of help her uh, to kind of survive and to teach her the ways of the pickpocket because that's the only way that they can earn a living and uh, buy food to, to survive. And then it kind of becomes kind of very much kind of like Oliver Twist and you, you keep expecting them to kind of break out into song any moment. So the film then jumps 10 years um, forward when now she's a young woman. The film is now based uh, in the 70s London. It's kind of described as kind of the punkier of London, but it's actually not. It's kind of more mid kind of 70s. And uh, there's a lot of songs in the movie. There's a lot of... The soundtrack is really good. So there's a lot of kind of mid '70s stuff from ELO and David Bowie and Queen and Joe Dolan. Would you believe? Um, Good-looking woman. Good-looking woman is on the soundtrack, <laughs> uh, which was great to hear. I mean, you think, yeah, Joe Dolan be introduced to kids all over the world. You know, so I thought that was terrific. So she's still making a living with the two boys, uh, pilfering and pick pickpocketing. But she's uh, she wants to be this kind of clothing designer. She wants a designer. She knows she's got the talent and wants to work for this fashion house, which is run by Emma Thompson. And by coincidence, she actually manages to do that. And then the film becomes The Devil Wears Prada. It's very, very similar, the relationship here that uh, Emma Stone has with Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson, who has this huge, ginormous kind of ego and runs the whole organization with uh, with kind of an iron fist and takes all the plaudits. For example, at one stage, Jenna Stone, uh, as uh, Estella, she um, produced these fantastic designs, which are very, very well received. And Emma Thompson says, 
I have done it again, this kind of thing. So the relationship between them is very, very much kind of very kind of, um, it, 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 it's, it's very kind of aggressive and, uh, and there's not too much respect there. So the film then, from then on, it basically deals with Emma Stone learning about her history, learning about her background, and Emma Thompson's background as well, which kind of meet. And so it's then about her and the way in which and why she turned from the lovely, kind of shy, kind of introverted Estella into Cruella Deville. And that, unfortunately, is where the film has its main uh, flaw, unfortunately, because at no stage do you believe that Emma Stone is actually that evil. And it's certainly not as evil as the Glenn Close characters, as we've seen. It's almost like Disney decided, well, look, we can't we can't have our, our main lead be, be nasty and then horrible. So it's almost like, well, we have to have some kind of evil witch in the film, so we'll get Emma Thompson to do it. And um, as you know, uh, we've said it before, Emma Thompson, she can do no wrong. She's terrific. I mean, she does so much touring of the scenery here. I mean, she, her jaw must have been sore at end of the day. She is absolutely terrific and both of them are very, very good together. Although Emma Stone's English accent isn't, isn't great. She can do that kind of posh English accent that a lot of Americans can do but doesn't really, really quite work out. And in fact, it, uh, there's a character here uh, called Horace um, which is voiced by um, an American actor by Paul Walter Hauser. And I couldn't understand a word this man was saying throughout the whole film. And every time he spoke with this really, really bad Cockney actor, I turned to my wife and said, what, what, did, what did he say? <laughs> and it turns out he's an American. And he's actually quite funny, but he can't do a, a Cockney accent. And people who kind of have compared it to Dick Van Dyke, I will not hear of any criticism of Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> I always understood every word he said. Uh, certainly the kids, I think, would love the dogs. The dogs are extraordinary because they do use real dogs and they also use CGI dogs as well. And it's almost impossible to try and uh, differentiate between them. Uh, so everybody is really good. The the the, um, the costumes are extraordinary. It's almost like they had to look at kind of Raul Dahl films and thought, OK, how can we make this kind of really campy and cool? At times, it's really funny. It's got one, one major problem. And it's my old bugbear. Guess what? It's two hours long and it is way too long at one stage we paused it I was I watched it with my wife and daughter and I, my wife said how much more is there to go in this ah, and that's she liked it way better than I did and I said it's 30 minutes and she was like oh goodness me and that's his main problem but I got the impression that the director was so desperate to get as much as Emma Thompson on screen because there there were scenes with Emma the two Emmas which do go on way too long and it was almost like he was just having a good time and thought I can't cut all this out because both of them are so good in this movie, and they are terrific. And it is very entertaining. It's a PG-13, keep in mind. It's not a PG-rated film. But I think 10 plus will be fine. Um, but I did enjoy it, but maybe I just thought, no, take... You know, A Quiet Place 2 is coming out, and that's an hour and a half, and everybody so far that has seen it thinks it's absolutely great. And I think movie makers have got to understand, we um, will not feel short-changed if it's an hour and a half long. We only feel short-changed if it's not a good movie. So, you know, if you can... If that's you can a good take point. Yeah, that's a good you point. You know what I mean? The more solid the movie, the more entertaining it will be. It doesn't necessarily have to be long, you know, for, for people to get their money's worth. We just want a good movie. So that's its, its fault. But I would certainly recommend it. Um, there's a lot to enjoy here. But you you enjoyed it. I'm, I'm worried though when you say that Cruella as she watched her mother get killed by Dalmatians is that please don't say that's graphic is it? That's possibly well you know it, it wouldn't be a Disney film if you didn't kill a yeah. parent you know? well yeah and, but by and Dalmatians well, when, 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 when I saw the trailer I mean I did go <gasps> you know what I mean because yeah. and that's possibly why I think that's the scene why it's PG-13 it's not particularly graphic but I mean it did kind of catch it by surprise ever so slightly um, but yeah but you know her relationship uh, throughout the film and this is the thing I mean I, I don't know if it's a spoiler or not like she doesn't really hate there's a, there's a hint that she has made a dress 
uh, sorry, a coat, a kind of a fur coat out of the uh, the fur of Dalmatians, but she never actually does. Right, whereas, okay. in the, in, whereas in the previous film in the cartoon, yes, it's it's basically taken as fact that she did, but here she didn't. And I think, as I said, for me, that's its flaw because of the fact that, you know, you never really truly believe that Emma Stone as Cruella is really okay. that evil. Maybe if there's a sequel, they might address that. Okay, but you enjoyed it. I did still enjoy it, and I yeah. still recommend it, yeah. Okay, mark it out of 10. Um, my daughter, because she has grown up with the, the previous movies, couldn't really identify with it. She gave it four. Oh. Uh, my wife gave it eight, and I'll give it seven. Seven, okay. And that's on the yeah. Disney Channel, is it? It didn't have to make the it movies. Is, yes, yeah, but it's, it's, it's one of their premieres, though. You, you've got to pay twenty one ninety nine for it, which is expensive. Ooh. And, uh, I, yeah, I did think twice about it because I got stung a bit with, with, um, with Moana, because I, uh, with, with Mulan, sorry, because I didn't really enjoy that much. And I thought, oh. But there are people who say, look, if you go to the cinema, if two, two of you go to the cinema, you, you pay that. But at least if you do pay it, you're in the cinema and you see it on a big screen. Yeah, and if there's only one of you watching it, it works out quite expensive. Well, well, if, for example, yeah, when I do my reviews recently, yeah. I used to go to cinema on my own. So therefore, I would pay about 10 euros. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so it is. it can be expensive, but it will be free in a couple of months' time. Okay. Uh, so keep that in mind. Yeah. Okay, the, the woman in the window is your second one. Uh, yeah, um, at first thing I thought, there was a Steve Gutenberg film uh, a few years ago, about 20 years ago, which is kind of very similar, had a very similar kind of, um, had a very similar kind of name to it, where he basically is looking at his window one night and he sees uh, a crime being happened and nobody believes him. It's very, very similar to this as well. And I thought, was that a remake of that? But it's not. It's based on uh, The Woman in the Window book, which was a, a huge bestseller uh, a few years ago. And this stars uh, Amy Adams as uh, this. Do you say agrophobic? Agrophobic, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They keep referencing agoraphobia in the film. <laughs> Never heard it odd. pronounced as that. Yeah, it's spelled that way. So I presume you know the Americans pronounce it that way. But anyway, okay. she's got agoraphobia. She unfortunately has um, has mental problems. So therefore, she relies on a lot of drugs and and drinks a lot. And basically, because of her agoraphobia, spends most of her time in her rather large kind of New York apartment, sitting at the window and looking across the road to the building opposite, and basically looking into people's lives. Obviously, in America, people don't pull their blinds, I notice. And um, so basically, then you think, okay, well, isn't that rear window? And yes, it is. I mean, it's, it's very like rear window. And in fact, the director knows that, in fact, makes a little kind of reference to Hitchcock in the film. There's a lot of shots down stairwells, which Hitchcock used to love. There's also a little reference as well. as She walks by uh, her TV at one stage, and there's Jimmy Stewart. So therefore, obviously, the director said, look, we know it's very like rear window. We know. And, you know, we want you to be aware that we are aware that we know, that you will know, that it's very like Rear Window. And in fact, as she's looking at the people across the road, she sees a murder. It was a new family that uh, moved in, and they are played by Gary Oldman and Julianne Moore. And she sees Julianne Moore getting killed, so she, she rings the police, the police come by, they don't believe her. Gary Oldman arrives and says, my wife is fine, turns and points to a woman and says, there's my wife, and it's Jennifer Jason Lee. So therefore, nobody believes her. And so therefore... She, for the next hour, I think, and this is possibly why the film wasn't very well, well received. The film actually was made back in 2018, and they showed it to a test audience. The test audience didn't like it at all. So they went back and they reshot practically the whole film. And when they showed that test audiences, they said, we don't like this version either. So therefore, and then they thought, well, what do we do? Will we shelve it and use it as a tax break, or what do we do? But they ended up, ended up selling it to Netflix. So I think it's this section where she basically breaks down and she basically thinks, well, um, you know, did I really spot it? Did I really see it? Or, you know, uh, am I going crazy? And But 
I loved that whole sequence because Amy Adams is just such an extraordinary actress. And just watching her, I mean, I'm just thrilled watching her the whole time. She does a piece to camera at one stage, which is just wonderful. And I think, but it, I get the impression that people thought that was a little bit too dark and a little bit too kind of um, kind of uh, delving into kind of misery for their liking. I thought it was terrific because she was so terrific. There are twists and turns in the film, some of which work and some don't. But I was entertained by it. And I, I don't think it's as bad as people say it is. And people have been kind of very derogatory about it. Great cast. Everybody's really, really good. And, um, and I certainly recommend that one as well. But okay. it's, uh, and it's on, it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Netflix. Yeah, obviously for adults. So, yeah. The Woman in the Window Market out of 10? I'll give it nine. Nine out of ten. Okay, listen, thank you for that. Have a lovely bank holiday weekend. You too. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. That is Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. Just to uh, tell you that Coffee is Super Value in Bandon, there is a scam going around where people are getting a Facebook request asking people to you know sign up and be a friend of uh, Coffee is Super Value in Bandon. It is a scam, so please ignore if you receive that. And a reminder once again that there's a pop-up test site has opened in Charleville at the Primary Care Centre for people who don't have COVID-19 symptoms. If you haven't tested positive in the last six months, you're aged over 16, you're asked to avail of that free walk-in test centre. No appointment needed. Bring photo ID and a mobile phone number with you. That's where I leave you uh, for today and indeed for this week. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. I'm off next week taking a little bit of a break, so I'll be back with you uh, the Monday afterwards. But John Paul will very ably sit in here and uh, take over the show for next week. So until uh, Monday week, I'm Patricia Messenger. Have a good weekend and look after yourselves. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.